Well, I'm turning this morning to that passage we read in Luke's gospel a moment ago. And to verse 27 of Luke chapter 5, two words form the title for this morning's sermon. Follow me. Follow me. You'll find this account of the calling of Levi, Matthew, as we might perhaps better know him, in three of the Gospels. And of course, we have one of the Gospels which carries the name of Matthew, that having heeded the call to follow the Lord, he was very fruitful. And we're very glad he followed the Lord, that he was one of those people that God took, used, spoke to, that we should then have these words in Matthew's Gospel, words we have in reading this morning, aren't we? Luke's Gospel. But we could just as soon have taken them from Matthew's Gospel. Follow me. And it wasn't as if he was following somebody totally unknown. You'll notice, won't you, that so just leading up to that was the healing of the paralyzed man. How his friends had sought to bring him to the Lord Jesus. Couldn't get in because of the crowd. So he went up on the rooftop and made a hole in the tiling, lowered him on his bed. And the Lord then tells him that his sins are forgiven. That was controversial. That had set up quite a stir. And the Lord did nothing to dampen down that stir, did he? And showed them that he's got power to do that. Because if he can also say to a paralyzed man, for whom no medical help was available, if he could say to him, arise, take up your bed and walk, and it would happen. And if he said, your sins are forgiven, then you could be sure that that also has happened. And to prove that point, he tells the man, arise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, there's no gap here, immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he'd been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Well, he might have glorified God. And the people were astonished, they were amazed. We have seen strange things today. And so when we come to the calling of Matthew, we notice that it begins in verse 27 there. After these things, <laughs> these things, the things we just described there, and we could have added a few more things too. Those were some things, weren't they just? Those were some things. Man paralyzed, now walking, ah, and his sins forgiven him. The Pharisees are right to this extent. Who can forgive sins but God? Correct. God just had forgiven this man his sins, because in their presence would they but recognized it was the Son of God, very person of God, but also fully man. They wouldn't see it, couldn't see it. Can you see it this morning? That's who we're dealing with. And these things, therefore, were the things that the Lord Jesus, the things that the Lord Jesus had been doing and had been saying. Matthew, Levi, sitting there on that memorable day at the tax office, deliberating on his day's work, seeing whether the figures added up. The person that then came, not to bring in a tax return, not to consult about whether to declare this or whether that's an allowable expense, 
That person who had just declared your sins are forgiven to that paralyzed man uh, and to earth that inner reality had said and take up your bed and walk, go to your house, is now in the office before Matthew. I wonder if his jaw dropped. I wonder if he was absolutely amazed himself. And then to be told, follow me, leaving everything he did. He wasn't following a stranger. He wasn't following somebody of whom he knew nothing. He was following him after these things, those things, and more than those things, incredible things, because incredible things always clustered around the Lord Jesus. Incredible words, gracious words that he spoke. Words are plenty, and every one of them worth hearing. That's who he was following. My first heading then is this, hearing the call. Hearing that call, follow me. Are you in a good position to hear it this morning, or on the internet, or wherever you might be hearing this sermon? Are you ready to follow this call, spoken by this person, the person who had done these things we've just been describing? His voice is distinctive, isn't it? It's unique. His message, no other message like it. No other person like him. And he is speaking. And he speaks to us still here in the Bible because he hasn't taken away his Holy Spirit. And so he can take what's written and can apply it to your mind and mine. To your ears and my ears. To your dull heart, my dull heart. An issue, that call as fresh to us this morning as it was that day. Matthew sat in his office contemplating whatever tax affairs he had before him to contemplate. He heard that call. And it was a call that he just could not not answer. He could not remain a moment longer where he was. Couldn't sit this one out. Couldn't say another time. I've got 20 tax returns, the deadlines coming up. Friends over there at the accounts office, HUD 3, you you watch Burning the Midnight Oil there in January. Tax deadline, everybody's coming in with their tax affairs in absolute disarray, piles of receipts and statements and invoices in a box. And our friends over there usually take the box and sort through it. No, he left all of that to follow him possible for him not to him of all people him because the pharisees and the scribes who have been reasoning in their hearts who who can forgive sins but god alone this man blasphemes later on took exception that this teacher this itinerant carpenter's son should have called a man like levi tax collector a sinner and those were loaded, loaded words. They, they mean something a bit different to the way in which we think of ourselves and apply the name sinner to ourselves. They had a different view of that and rather regarded people like Matthew and Levi to be beyond the pale. They weren't sinners that could be saved. They, they were just ruined and finished people beyond the pale. 
They were in the employ of the hated Romans. They, they were just doing their work, gathering taxes to feed the mouths of those soldiers that were the occupying force and keeping Caesar in the manner that he was accustomed so that he could just rule over them and bring misery upon them. Levi, Matthew, was part of that. Tax collector and a sinner. It was as if to say, just dismiss them. <laughs> There's no, no point talking to them. No point trying to reason with them. They're gone. They're, they're beyond reach. Certainly beyond the reach of a great God. He surely wouldn't want anything to do with people like that. And so this man, this Matthew, written off by the people around him, was the man who was called. <sighs> he was one of those who were sick, as in verse 31. He didn't fool himself there that he was righteous. His ears were being dinned by the culture around him, by the ruling religious authorities. That's, he wasn't righteous. He had no position before God. He was, he was sick and beyond cure. Well, Jesus is saying, those are the people I've come to call who know that they're sick and beyond cure. You know that they have nothing. What he called elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Well, those who, when they're told, follow me, think, yes, indeed, I'm exactly the person that you would call to follow you. Who say, what would God have to do with me? Why would he be interested in me? Does he know the kind of man, the kind of woman that I am? So ugly on the inside, just how spiritually non-functioning, how distrustful of God, how unthinking about him, how cruel to my neighbor. Would he call me? Ah, oh, the poor in spirit, precisely. Somebody like Matthew, somebody like Levi, precisely somebody like you this morning. You say, well, I I, I'm beyond the pale, surely. I am too sick. I'm too gone. What does society think of me? It thinks nothing. It doesn't have any great hope for me. No great future carved out for me. I, I'd be dismissed, not looked at again. Is there anything that God would have for me? Well, precisely you, friend. Precisely you. If you can own your nothingness and your spiritual poverty, he's got a lot for you. You need to repent. That's what you've got to do. He's called you to repentance. He's called you to ownership of who you are and your sin. But he's got much for you in following him. What a big, big moment that that is. It's a big moment, wasn't it, for Levi? You, you, you read, he, he, he left. He left all to follow him, rose up and followed him. I wonder what had been going on before, hearing about these things. He comes after these things. Paralyzed man healed, sins forgiven. That he does this, that he pronounces forgiveness over sinners. And now here he is in his tax office calling him, follow me. And he's calling you and he's calling me to follow him. And he's calling you by his spirit, not gone away in that way, though you don't see him now because he's set at the right hand of God on high, he's poured out his spirit. The spirit speaks in scripture here, his word, he owns, the spirit authenticates and 
amens it and impresses it upon your conscience and mine. He sends preachers who attempt to do justice to this greatest of themes and who beseech and appeal. So we're hearing a little bit of that last night. Appeal, follow him. That summons, follow me, we would say to you, follow him. Friend, follow him, wherever you are, whatever is your need today, whatever you might think about what society has for you, where your standing is before other people forget that. Leave that behind. Follow him. That's what he's saying. Repent. Come to me. Peter had done it, and that had had a, a famous moment, and it's, it's all it's all there just in the same chapter, chapter 5 uh, of Luke. And what's uh, happened to, to him, how he realized when he saw the miraculous catch of fish. Well, There's quite a few of these things, weren't there, that could have caught up with Matthew and Levi. There had been some pretty strange things happening out at sea. And catches of fish that were unheard of. Nets were breaking, the boats were sinking under the weight of fish. And Peter... When he was told now was his moment that the Lord Jesus was there with him face to face. Follow me. And he was a man poor in spirit too. Luke 5 verse 8, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. True enough, but the Lord was not going to depart from him. He's going to call him and call him there. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so in verse 11, Luke 5, so when they brought their boats to land, like Matthew now, they forsook all and followed him. Follow me. Follow him. That's what they did. Big moment, big crisis in life. On the spot, what will you do? Hearing then the call. Next heading, different relationships. Different relationships. Now, isn't it interesting that there's Matthew, left all. They didn't go back to tax returns. He wasn't sort of adding up the columns there and seeing how much Caesar was owed and maybe just pocketing a little himself. He might have been a bit envious. He'd heard of this fellow like Zacchaeus down the way in Jericho, done quite well for himself, chief tax collector. That was what maybe Matthew was aspiring to and those who worked with him and others who he consulted with, other tax collectors or labelled sinners by the religious authorities. What does he do? Well, he's left his tax affairs behind and all that he was doing there, how he left that with his colleagues, how they had to redistribute the workload who came in. We're just not told that. But we are told this, that afterwards he gave him a great feast. There in verse 29, in his own house, gave him a great feast. Now, we can sometimes think, follow me means that's it. Goodbye to everything. Not just Matthew, your tax collecting and that, but all your friends too. Pack them all up. We're just now going into some kind of isolation. We're going to take, as it were, the call. It's there in the Bible to be separate. And that's it. We're going to have no more conversation with any of those people that belong to that old world that we were in. Nope. Goodbye. End of that. He doesn't do that, does he? Instead, 
he and notice it's a great feast by the way this isn't just a sort of small thing we have our list for a fellowship meal in a couple of lord's days time there oh, great feast drop a hint or two here couldn't i just but this is what matthew did there's a great feast there's some small little sandwiches and a cup of tea gathering this and it wasn't they're given as it were with just uh, impress my friends it was to give to him this was a gift this was a response of matthew this was him doing something very much the one whose call he's heard and whom he is now following him but he didn't think oh let's not have any of my friends come out oh, i left them behind don't want to be anywhere near any of them i don't want any reminders of the old world of tax collecting. I've said farewell to it. Now, living as it were, holy, so I don't want to be contaminated with any of them. No. We read this great feast in his own house, his own expense surely there, which he'd given to him, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. No, they hadn't all gone away. Matthew hadn't sort of turned around to them and said, that's it. Don't I know you? I'm left, gone. I'm following somebody else now. Go away. That's what cults tell you. And that's what people at their worst think that as Christians, we do to people. That's what we do to those who are sinners, not in the eyes here of men and their judgments, but, but actually in the eyes of God. And all of us are that actually in the eyes of God. Matthew didn't dismiss them, didn't stir unfriend them there but a facebook world day unfriend them that's the end of that no he wanted them to come actually he wanted them to come and he wanted them to be sat there because he wanted them to meet the one that he was now following oh people do play fast and loose with this passage as if to say that's it brilliant you become a christian don't think you've got to give up nightclubs and things. Don't think that now party time's over. No, you can do this and have it all. It's not saying anything of that kind here. This is some different feast entirely. This is not like a usual one at Matthew's house or anybody else's house. This had somebody very different at the center of it. The feast was given for him. And what therefore was done at it and the conversations at it, the whole nature of it, the tenor of the atmosphere at it was so, so, so different. And Matthew's friends who were there, who had not been disinvited, who, who were not uh, told, sorry, the door's shut, we're not having you lot here, you spoil the whole thing, realised that Matthew himself had changed that he was now following this person who was guest of honour and about whom there was a, a special dignity and a special authority, a certain otherness that wasn't absolutely off-putting and so shocking that you wouldn't want to come near. But on the contrary, there was something so warm and inviting that you couldn't but come near. And so Matthew wanted these people now to see himself, Matthew, as a different person. 
not to relate to me as I used to be, Matthew the tax collector. And we'd all sit around and think, well, what can we do here to earn a bit of extra money? And have you seen there's this loophole and people are trying to exploit that? Well, we've got to be up on that, lads, haven't we? Not that kind of conversation. Though they're now relating to Matthew as he was relating to the Lord Jesus. That's a different kind of feast now. That's a different kind of gathering. And the whole experience and the whole atmosphere of it was not business as usual. It wasn't same old, same old. This was new. And those who were there realized that something's happened to Matthew. And they realized it's all to do with that person who's there, who is unmistakably holy, different, and comes from somewhere else where he comes from above, but also has words of help and words of comfort, even encouragement to those for whom the rest of society had only insults and could only say, you're written off, spiritually no hope. They realised there was more than a little hope, and it was all bound up with this person that Matthew had found. So to follow him doesn't mean that's it. You've got no more interest in people, basically, and people that you knew, and people that you know at university or that you know at college, you just drop them. You'll be careful of them, and some of them you might be wise, actually, to draw but you're going to care for them because they need to know the very person that you are following. They need to know him because what he has done for you and for me, the revolution within the whole repurposing of our empty, vain, foolish lives, redirecting them, consciousness of our utter foolishness, the sinfulness of our hearts, its uncleanness, wretchedness and poverty. Realizing that God forgives such people and gave his son for such people, that precious blood had been shed for such people, and that now you can receive forgiveness. That, that whatever the, the paralyzed man, how he heard those words there, man, your sins are forgiven you. Woman, your sins are forgiven you. You can hear that. And that that has been revolutionary. And you want others to hear that too. And there they were. And Matthew now had had invited them, and they just seen something different in Matthew. This is not usual feast, they say. This is like, it's not like a normal way here. What's happening? Who is this person that he's following? That's what you want your friends to think about you. That's what you want those around you. You've been converted perhaps many years, or just freshly converted. That's what you want them to say. What's made the difference to him? Why is that person different? Why don't they laugh at the things we laugh at? Why don't they get excited about the things we get excited with? Why aren't they living for those things that we're living for? Why on a bank holiday weekend are they in churches, spending nights out in tents? Why are they going to hear preaching? Why aren't they out with us, partying, doing the things that we do? They should notice that in us. And there should be something about us in that, that's something about him in that very distinct, very different. Not part of your world, really not part of this world. But we're looking out for you and we care for you. And we want you actually to know who's made the difference to us. And we're praying for you and we're inviting you, not to some just as it used to be kind of thing, but that you may actually yourself seek and find this Lord too, and have the joy 
of your sins forgiven too. People relate to us, or they should, as Christians, as we relate to him. That now it's not the same Matthew and the same kind of feast, but they're now relating to Matthew, a different Matthew. And as he relates to the Lord Jesus, they're meant to look beyond us to him. They're meant to see how good works, which we don't sort of trumpet, but it's just an inevitable result of being Christians. And they're meant to glorify our Father who is in heaven, that they see something different. Different relationships. The conversation is different. What did it used to be? Me, me, me. Maybe that was it. Me, myself, and I, the most popular topics of conversation. Shouldn't be any more, you know, friends, should it? The Christian, shouldn't be any more. It should be him, him, him. It's about him now. I'm following him, not following myself. Didn't realize what it meant to be following myself. I thought I was doing okay. I wasn't, I was going to hell. And then I learnt. I heard a call. I heard it from him. And now it's different. Him, him, him. Is that the case now with you? Are you professing Christ? Good. Have you seen the difference he makes dying upon the cross, pardoning sinners by taking their place, being their substitute, coming where we couldn't come to bear the wrath of God and being sinless, being able to bear it and then receive back his life again? We'll not be able to do that. Not when we come before the judgment throne. That condemnation will be final. It will be conclusive. Seen that? Believe that? Trusted in that? Good. So now you're following him, yes, but does it show? Are your thoughts about him, 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 or still about me, 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 you, you, you? Has there been that difference? Different relationships now. People, as they relate to you, realize they're not relating to the person they used to, but relating to somebody whose eye is on somebody else. whose attention is somewhere else, looking beyond this world, looking for the next one, actually, taken up with a kingdom that is unshakable, cannot be shaken, that that's what you're receiving. And it shows in you and it shows in me. Different relationships. Final heading, follow him. been saying that, haven't I? Say it again. Follow him. Don't follow me. Right? That's us there, preachers, pastors. We, we have the authority. We have in, in the word of God, sure. But oh, please, please don't model your discipleship slavishly on any man. Don't try to sort of sound like them or imitate them. Hopefully, all preachers have got some uniqueness and some of our funny ways and funny habits and the rest of it. Well, don't, don't absorb those. But in as much as what is preached is about Christ and him crucified, in as much as what is said makes much of him, nothing of self and nothing of this world, but everything about the next. Listen to that. Follow that Christ, won't you? Follow him. Follow, necessarily, some lists of do's and don'ts are excellent lists of do's and don'ts. But again, don't be slavish imitators of men, but learn of Christ. Learn his lists of do's and don'ts, which may be very distinctive for you and for me. I'm very particularized. 
And all of those should derive ultimately from the Ten Commandments. So what you're under, you're under that authority, so am I. We're under the Ten Commandments, ten, the additions that men make, an eleventh and a twelfth one, they're the ten. My word, to follow those properly, there's a lifetime's work. There's some sanctification needed before we really begin to interact with those. Take those. Take the Sermon on the Mount. Take that. Learn of that. Oh, dear friends, you'll be taken up to higher things, higher planes, and some of those things that, oh, distress us and trouble us. We'll see something bigger. We'll get a bigger Christ. We're following a Christ who's just getting larger and larger, more and more impressive, more and more to be loved, honoured, respected, obeyed, more meaningful, more relevant. Other things have a habit of falling into place when we get that Christ, when we're following him, listening to his voice. And you'll find it here in the Bible. And you'll find his voice, sure enough, Sermon on the Mount. It's what he preached. And Matthew there, helpfully, has recorded it for us. But he's there speaking to us in the Ten Commandments. And he's speaking to us in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. He's speaking to us everywhere, all throughout Scripture. And it's a real Christ and a living Christ. You haven't been called to follow an idea. You haven't been called to follow a set of truths. True though all those truths are. You've been called to follow him. A three-dimensional Christ. A real Christ who springs from the pages of this Bible, real, breathing, living, as though we were there with Matthew, we we were there with his friends at the feast, we we were there with Peter when, when he was called after the miraculous catch of fish. Real, unmistakable person, and who loves sinners, and who cares for sinners. You know, at this feast, he wasn't some aloof person, as though, well, I can't be talking to these people here. What have you brought these people here to speak to me for? What, what have I to do with them? But he shows he has everything to do with them. Everything. Everything to do with sinners. Everything. To speak with them. To, to reason with them. To assure them. Friend, destruction awaits you in that path. Unless you have turned from your sin, trusted in me, destruction, death, condemnation, hell. And we can't paint those things in an awful enough light, what it will mean. That's there. And he says to you, that's where your sin will take you. But I've gone to the cross, not full of complaining. Why do I have to do this for these people? Why should I do this? They're enemies. Willingly, very compliant, very contented that this is how it has to be to fulfill all scripture. Because these people else will not be saved from their sins. These people else will not have hope for the future. Else will not have heaven as their inheritance. Else will not have joy of fellowship with me as they pray and I answer their prayers and they're in this dynamic relationship with me and I'm teaching them and they're learning. They will have none of that. And I want them to have that. And so I'm dying upon the cross that they might have that. 
and have it in all its abundance and fullness. That's who you should be following, dear friend. That's the Christ who commands your obedience, who requires your allegiance, who is requiring of you to take up your cross daily and follow him. And he's so wonderful. And he's so loving. And he's so, so generous. And he's so compassionate. And so for Christians, seasoned Christians, preachers indeed, oh, when they get it so wrong, and when they miss it entirely, well, there's hope for them. And he restores and he brings people back to where they should be if they're a bit backslidden and recovers them. And he doesn't say, and that's that for you. Well, it's new work, much to do, get busy. So he can help you too. He helps preachers, he helps all Christians, all of them, because all of us need help. And we all of us need a friend. He's a friend of sinners. That's what he is. That's what Matthew's discovered. That's what the paralyzed man discovered. Peter discovered that. The one calling them to follow him is not some aloof figure who then will kind of walk 20 paces ahead. You can't really, can't really see him. He's not there. He, he's just kind of left us to get on with it. He won't leave you to get on with it. He said, follow me. And he's going to lead you, therefore. He's going to lead me. He's going to accompany you. He's going to be a friend to you. He is going to be compassionate because he's three-dimensional, living, breathing Christ. Christ who has our humanity still. He's got our back. He's, he knows what it is to have been human, knows the temptations, knows the trials. His help, his remedy, has care, has mercy, compassion. You're following him, or at least I hope you are. So how, how is that Christ that you are following? Is he, is he big enough? Is he great enough? Is he as compassionate as the Bible insists that he is? Oh, follow, follow him. Make, make him your choice. Make him there, Lord, over you. Lord of your heart, Lord of your affections, Lord of your friendships, Lord of your future. Make him that, because you'll never be disappointed. You will never be put to shame. You will never be the loser for it. In the end, eventually, you will look back on life and you will regret, as I do, that I didn't follow him better, that, that I didn't believe in him more, more in his compassion and more in his power and more in his being with us, God for us, not against us. All of that. It's all there. That's what the cross is telling us, really. It's only unbelief that tells us differently. So you follow him and you will find hope for this life, actually. And of course, you'll find hope for the next. So Matthew found, Peter found it, paralyzed man found it. And there are so many people in scripture who found it. And so many people who, since scripture was closed, and no further word that God is going to speak by that authoritative means to come. So many other people too, who through the preaching of the word, or their reading of the Bible, or their hearing from a friend and their testimony, that they learn to follow him, that Christ, that beautiful Christ, that generous Christ as well. So you follow him.